0: Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. You know where we're at. We're doing um, our study, Christ is All, and we're in Colossians 2, 8 through 10. And um, I mentioned it Wednesday, but for those of you who weren't here, um, I do want to say a big thank you to Brandon for stepping up in my place last week and for carrying us on through this study. Um, I'm really thankful to God for putting people in place here that we can um, look inside instead of having to go outside to fill the pulpit. So um, let's praise God for what he's doing in this church. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to read Colossians 2, 8 through 10. It's Colossians 2, 8, 9, and 10. This is the word of God. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, grateful as always to be able to gather together in this place in your name to seek you and to glorify you. Lord, I pray that you would give us all ears to hear and eyes to see great and wonderful things in your word. Lord, that this word would bear fruit in our lives and that it would glorify you. And I pray that no word that comes out of my mouth be of my own invention or of vain human philosophy or human tradition, but Lord, that I would be a vessel for you to use to get your word to your people, and I pray these things in your holy name, amen. You can be seated. So, here in our passage, we've got a a lot of ground to cover, so we're just going to hit the ground running here. Um, In in our passage, last week, uh, Brandon kind of talked to you a little bit about how now Uh, Paul was transitioning to start giving some more direct uh, commands. And now here in in this section that we're in today, 8 through 10, we see Paul actually beginning to deal directly with the false teaching that's been going on there in Colossae. Um, Let me take a moment to really, really, really express something to you. It's very difficult for us here in America... Especially for those of you who have been in church for your whole life, or you've been here in this church for double-digit years, it's very easy to fall asleep at the wheel. And we really open ourselves up to deception. And believe it or not, even today, with the wealth of um, resources that we have that are named and labeled Christian, Not all of it. The majority of it is not good. And it's important for us to heed this this warning from Paul to the church in Colossae and understand that false teaching has always been around. It's not going anywhere. It will always be here. And there is always an attempt to deceive not just the world at large, but even the brethren, even the saints, even the Christians. So this morning, I really, really hope that you hear not my words, but that you hear the Word of God, and that you really are awakened to start to consider what it is that you allow yourself to, to listen to, to read, what kind of resources you go to, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So if false teaching is so deceptive, is there any hope for us? Well, yes, obviously. So from this text, we're going to gather three, um, three specific ways that we can guard ourselves from deception. And we're going to take it just in the order that we see Paul writing here. And so we see that he starts off by saying, see to it. So our first point, our first way, our first line of defense that we're meeting here from this text is don't listen to other-centered teaching. Don't seek it out. Don't read books about it. Don't listen to music. And what do I mean by other-centered? Well, we're going to break that down here in verse 8. So we're looking at don't listen to other-centered teaching. So what is that? Well, number one, Paul starts off by saying, see to it. The English language is really, really, it it makes it hard for us to read the Bible and really feel the weight of what's being said. Because our English words are so watered down. You know, we we call burritos awesome. And though burritos might be delicious, they don't inspire awe within a person. You know, we, we use words... That are really profound and have rich meaning to express our excitement about just regular everyday things. So it's hard for us then when we hear and read this beginning phrase, see to it. It's easy for our brains not to attach any meaning to it and just kind of gloss over it. But what Paul is saying, what, what Paul was writing, is this word actually means like beware, be careful. Be vigilant, make sure, be on alert, be on guard that no one takes you captive. This is an alert, this is a, a present all the time, at any moment, be on guard, be, be careful, beware, be aware of your surroundings, what we see here is that it's not merely a nod towards common sense. You know, sometimes we, we tell people um, as they're going to take a trip, hey, be careful. Be careful while you're on the road. We don't really mean while you're driving, pay f- complete attention to the road. Keep your hands at 10 and 2 o'clock. Keep the volume low enough to where you can hear your surround. We're not saying all of those things when we say be careful, right? We're just saying, hey, have a safe trip. Hey, don't go wreck into a semi-truck, you know? Does does that make sense? Are you following me? But what Paul is saying is is not that. Paul is saying, be alert. If Paul was telling you, if this were him telling you to have a safe trip, he would say, keep your hands at 10 and 2 o'clock. Keep the volume low. Make sure that you're wearing your seatbelt. Make sure that you can see out of all of your mirrors. He's saying, be alert. Pay attention why is he saying that? Because we have an enemy who ro- ro- uh, rolls around, roams around this earth like a roaring lion. He is seeking to devour. John Piper says, The devil devotes 168 hours a week to deceiving you. We need more than just in the occasional glance at scripture. 168 hours a week, how many days? That's 24 hours in a seven-day week. That's every hour of every day is being devoted to deceiving you. So we see Paul saying, see to it, be careful, beware. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today or get anything else out of this passage, hear that word, beware, be very cautious, In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking of the last times, of the end times, and the various signs that you're going to see. And then he starts to talk about false prophets. And he says, see to it that no one leads you astray. This is a, a big word that we need to pay attention to. Our radar should be on right now. And then he says that no one takes you captive. That's the second Phrase that we see that no one takes you captive. I want you to notice it says, No one takes you captive. See to it that no one that means not pastors, not preachers, not priests, not elders, bishops, philosophers, popes, cardinals, politicians, teachers, professors, friends, or even yourself let no one take you captive. I I want to emphasize this because we have a tendency to do two things. Number one, people that are in authority, we tend to just take their word for it. Don't do that. Not all that are in authority have good intentions or even are really taking the time to seek this word out and make sure that they're saying the right, true thing. And number two, we tend to hear what our friends and our family have to say, and we hold that up as high as gospel truth, don't we? Well, my, my mom said this, my, my family said this, my friend told me this, this person said that, and we actually base our life off of what people have said. <laughs> Folks, people's words vanish. They have no power like God's word. We read in Isaiah that only the word of God will stand forever. Since we have Professor Jim Burns here from the Gideons, that's why this is such an important ministry, because God's word is timeless. People can go to it in the 6th century B.C., and it affects their heart. People can go to it in the year 2020, and it affects their heart. The word of God stands forever. Not anybody else's voice. Young people, I'm especially talking to you. We love to hear what people say. Well, my friends are doing this. My friends are doing that. Don't base your life on what the crowd does. No one. Let no one take you captive. Paul says in Galatians that even if... I, Paul's talking about himself, even if I come to you with a different gospel, I've changed my mind, I'm singing a new tune, and I'm delivering to you a different gospel, and it's me, the apostle Paul, rejected. He says that even if an angel comes down from heaven, imagine that. The sky opens up and a supernatural being of light comes down to you. And delivers to you a different gospel, reject it. Why? Because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Folks, we cannot let ourselves be deceived, we cannot let our guard down for a moment. Eternity hangs in the balance. To be taken captive, this word means it's the only time this word is used here in the New Testament. It actually means to be taken away as a slave. That's what false teaching does to you, is it enslaves you. It makes you its slave. I've had conversations with people who are uh, that follow really, really bad teachers. And man, I will tell you. People that are deceived and enslaved by this stuff get furious whenever you start to mess with their favorite preachers. Why? Because they're following a man. They're following a church. They're following an institution. They're following anything else except for God. And it fills their hearts with anger towards you. They've been enslaved. They've been taken captive and the warning here for us this morning is strong. See to it that this does not happen to you. Again, Paul is expressing just how serious and dangerous this is. But notice, he's writing this to Christians. He's told them that they have been reconciled and redeemed. These are Christian people that, that Paul is writing to. So let's not... Take a moment to start to think, Well, I'm a Christian, that can't happen to me. You're human. We are human. We have to be on guard. If we let our guard down, we're open for everything. We'll start to believe any kind of thing, especially whenever what we're ingesting is something that is other centered. As soon as we start to get off center, that line just starts to getting further and further and further away we must be vigilant then he goes on to say by what by philosophy and empty deceit now a super brief history lesson because we need to understand the context of this time colossae was in ancient greece and they were big time On philosophy and wisdom and sharing new knowledge with one another. You'll remember from several weeks back whenever Paul was in the Areopagus. That's what they would do. They would gather together. That's why he had a crowd that day is because they would gather together and they wanted to hear new wisdom and new insight and new knowledge and they loved it. You'll remember in 1 Corinthians 1 Paul says that the the Jews they demand signs but the Greeks seek wisdom they loved wisdom. And so th- the false teaching that was going on at that time was, hint- was uh, f- uh, founded and rooted in human wisdom. I say that because philosophy at the time, in the first person who is credited as being the first ancient Greek philosopher, his name is Thales of Miletus. And he was the first person who tried to explain the world without turning to religion or mythology. He didn't want to explain the world with God. He wanted to explain the world with natural means, with, with insight and wisdom, own human wisdom. Now, we don't do that today. We don't have an Areopagus that we go to to share new ideas, do we? We don't. But, what do we have today? We have Facebook. We have Instagram. We have Google, we have Fox News, we have CNN, we have the newspaper, we have friends and family, we have the water cooler at work that we gather around to share information. Sometimes it's gossip. So we don't gather the way that they did, but we do have this tendency to try to explain the world around us without using God. That's what they were. These philosophers were all about. So you might not consider yourself a, a philosopher. You might not know anything about Aristotle or Socrates, but I bet you can tell me a couple of things that people say on Facebook, or some of your favorite um, bit, bits of knowledge and wisdom that you've gotten from your friends. Our philosophy might be different that we base our lives on, but our culture is. All about explaining the world without God. We don't want to turn to him. We don't want to look at him. We don't want to hear what he has to say. Why? Because we know deep down inside, we know that we will owe him. We know that we will have to bow down because we know he's God. Even people dead in their sin, in Romans 1, it talks about that we, God's uh, invisible attributes are plainly seen everywhere. We all see that God is God, but we just don't want the world to be explained by Him. Why? Well, we're selfish, sinful people. We don't want to bow down to His rules. We don't want to bow down to how He says the world uh, needs to operate. We want to explain the world on our own. I did a video series a couple of uh, months ago on YouTube that I entitled Christian Mottos. And it was about um, mottos that we have in the church that are not true. Here are a couple. God never gives you more than you can handle. It's not true. The Bible shows that God does absolutely give you more than you can handle. But we say it. This is human philosophy. These are things that we've people build their lives on that, that God doesn't give you more than you can handle, and it's not even true. It's not even from Scripture. Folks, we cannot build our lives on things that are centered on anything other than Christ. Here's another one: God gives his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. That's not true. First of all, God doesn't have any tough battles. God is supreme. He is almighty. Nothing is hard for him. He's not sitting up there in heaven saying, oh, i got to get somebody to come help me with this. This is so tough. He upholds the universe with his word. Nothing is too hard for him. But we do this, don't we? We base our lives on these bogus statements that sound good, But the other word that Paul uses here is philosophy and empty deceit. Sounds really good, but it does not deliver what it promises. Have you ever bought something, signed up for something, that the salesman just really wanted to make a sale, so he told you that it was going to do this, this, and this for you, and when you got it and took it home or turned it on or whatever it is, none of the things that he said were true? Does that not happen to anybody? Am I the only one? Because it's happened to me a lot. That's what this human philosophy does. is It promises you this, that, and the other. It promises you fulfillment. It promises you just do these things and it will work for you. But it's empty deceit. It cannot fulfill what it is promising for you. Why? Because only God's word has power. Nothing else. Then we move to according to human tradition. This is to say that this false teaching is nothing new. It's passed down from generation to generation to generation, just like those Christian mottos that I talked about are. You probably heard them from your mima, or from your abuela, or from your tío, or your tía. You heard them from somebody and they, you just accepted it. Why? Because they were an authority figure. And so, well, what they said has to be true because that's my uncle, that's my aunt, that's my boss, that's my preacher, that's my whoever. But we need to run everything through the lens of Scripture, period. If it doesn't line up with this, my dear friends, reject it. It might sound wonderful. It might even be beneficial in some ways. But if it is not God's word, it will not last. Paul will later expound and later in chapter 2 on what uh, the human tradition really is about here. Uh, But just to kind of help us out, in Matthew 15, Jesus is asking his disciples... Um, or Jesus is being asked why his disciples don't follow the traditions of the forefathers of the hand washing before meals. It was a purity law. And Jesus responds by asking them, why do you break God's commandment in favor of your traditions? You see, this is, this is the time uh, where a lot of us like to just only go and attack the Catholic church here. Because they're built on a lot of sacred tradition. And while that may be true, they're not the only ones who build things off of tradition, are they? The Baptist Church does it too. We have our traditions, especially, we don't use hymns here, but you go to a place that's all about hymnals, that's a sacred cow. Don't you dare touch our hymns. That's human tradition, that's not rooted in scripture. Service order, rituals, all of these things, they might seem harmless, but whenever we make a religion, whenever we make a way of life, whenever we base our eternity on anything other than what's in here, we are ripe for destruction. This false teaching that was going around at that time was riddled with human tradition. Then he moves on to say, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, your your Bible might say the elemental principles of the world. So, to go back really briefly to the Greek philosophers, the Thales theorized that at the beginning of the world, the essence, the the, the beginning, the, the elemental principle of all of nature was water that water was everything, and so the pagan religions turned all of the elemental principles of the world, earth, wind, and fire, not the band, earth, wind, and fire, and water, they turned it into a deity. They worshiped earth, wind, fire, water. They believed that they were divine because they believed that they made up all things. So this is what Paul is referring to here, is don't don't pay attention to all that stuff. It sounds good, because water, there's so much water on this world. But it's not true. God created all things. And so he's, he's telling you, reject anything that is based off of elemental principles, that's based off of elemental spirits. Now what that means is in Deuteronomy 4.19, God says, Beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, that you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. You see, they believed that there was sun gods and moon gods, and there was a God for everything. The planets were gods. They thought they were elemental spirits of this world. But they're not. Now this, we don't do that today so much, do we? But how often do you te- hear people talking about their sign? Well, I'm a Capricorn. I'm a Taurus. I'm a whatever else. That's our version of what he's talking about here. People base their lives off of where the stars are in the sky. Tell me, can you call on a, the name of a star right now for salvation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, but we base our life on these things. We base decisions, we base relationships on these things. Well, this kind of sign doesn't mix with this kind of sign, so, you know, I I would date you, but you're that kind of sign. What, What does that even mean? These aren't real. It's just human philosophy. It's just human tradition. It's just stuff that is widely accepted that has zero bearing in truth. In the new age, it's all about the elemental principles and spirits and that the world around you is made up of matter that you can begin to infiltrate by your thoughts. You hear people talk about if you can think it, you can then see it. You can manifest things in the world. You can cause things to happen. You can attract things to you by the way that you think. Those are, that's new age practice. Reject that. That's not in scripture anywhere. It sounds good and it sells a lot of books. It makes for great memes on Facebook, but it is not true Church, I'll say again, if you get nothing else from this this morning, be careful. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful who you're allowing to speak into your life. Not because they hold power over you with their words, but because if you start to be led astray by false teaching, you are in trouble. Then we get to the last part of verse 8. He says, and not... According to Christ. This is what I mean by other centered teaching. If it's not centered on Christ, that is your litmus test. That is the standard. What do they believe about Christ? What do they say about the work of Christ? How often is Christ the focus? That's what Paul is saying here. And not according to Christ. Christ is all. Christ is everything. Have you noticed at all how many times Christ's name is mentioned in Colossians? It's it's all over the book. This ought to be jumping off the page to us and getting our attention and pointing us and helping us to understand that the name of this sermon series isn't just a cool name. Christ really is all. Christ is everything everything, if not for him, none of us are here. This applies to all teaching. So Sunday school, devotionals that you read, the uh, kind of worship music you like, like to listen to. If you listen to sermons at home, it matters. It matters. Run it through this filter of Christ. What are they saying about Jesus? Are they talking about Jesus? Is Jesus at the center or is something that we want at the center and Jesus is just the ladder to get us there? You see, there's a lot of teaching out there that mentions Jesus a lot and says that Jesus is, is God and Jesus is this and Jesus is that. But really, when you listen and pay attention, Jesus becomes nothing more than a mascot. Or a key or a wand to get me what I really want. True Christianity is all about Jesus, just Him. So let me ask you, if right now in your life things never got better, let's say you had to go work a job at a gas station for the rest of your life, and you're a cashier making minimum wage. You had no friends, but you had Jesus. Would that really be enough for you? And don't be quick to answer, let's really think this through. Is Jesus really enough for me? If all I ever got out of life was a real, personal relationship with Christ, would I be happy? That is the litmus test of our own personal lives. Reject teaching that is not Christ-centered. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 23, the Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. He's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. What does that mean? That means that... Th- other people, people who are not in Christ, hear Christ-centered teaching and say, Man, there they go with that God stuff. It's folly to them. It doesn't make sense. It can't, it doesn't register. That's not an occasion for us to judge them. That's an occasion for us to pray. Pray that God would open their hearts and pray that God would open their minds. You see, the more dangerous. So many times Christians think, if I just don't drink, if I just don't cuss, if I just don't do that, then I'm good. I'm a pretty good person. I, and I've shared this quote with you before from Charles Spurgeon. He said that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. That means that there is a lot of teaching that you will hear that sounds Like, man, I can't put, what's wrong with this? They talk about Jesus a lot. But then you have a lot of people today who will add to Jesus. They add extra stuff to who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And to add anything to Christ is to take away and diminish his lordship. Christ is sufficient. He needs not... Be added to. His work was perfect. It needs not be added to. That is why we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And it takes faith, doesn't it? Because we think that we've got to do something, we've got to do our part to save ourselves. But thanks be to God that it's grace alone, and it's faith alone. And it's in Christ alone. Our second point, and we'll move faster here, is to know the truth about Christ. That's from 2.9 and 10b. 2.9, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's 2.9. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've already dealt with this in Uh, verse 19 of chapter 1 at length. We talked a lot about that, but we need to understand that Jesus Christ is God. That's what it means. He's talking about the incarnation, that the whole spirit, the whole deity of God dwelt in Jesus Christ. Secondly, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see that from who is the head of all rule and authority. That's verse 10 So the second half of verse 10, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now we need to understand that doesn't just mean that he can make decisions sometimes. That means that he has complete and utter and total and ultimate control over everything. Jesus Christ is Lord. We dealt with this also at length in, in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1. Beware of any teaching that would in any way attempt to downplay the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord, period. There's not a comma and or a comma, but it's period. Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus Christ is Savior. We see that from um, 2.10a, where he says that in him you have been filled For Jesus to be able to fill you, he must be filled with the fullness of deity, which means that he must be God, which he is. And he must have the authority to fill you as Lord, which he is. Jesus Christ is God and Lord. And as God and Lord, he stepped down into the world that he created to save sinners who were in active rebellion against him. Jesus Christ is Savior. Do you know him as Savior this morning? You might have heard nice things about Jesus. That he's a good guy, and yeah, I know that he's God. I know that he's even Lord, but is he your Savior? Have you been filled in him? And if not, then don't leave this morning without Making sure that you take care of that. Notice that when Jesus Christ saves, he fills. That leads us to our last point. Is to know the truth about who you are in Christ. You see, part of why they were, being, they were able to be led astray is because part of this false teaching was telling them that you will be filled with this wisdom. If you follow this philosophy. And what Paul is saying is. No no. If you're in Christ you are filled. You have been filled. It's already done. It's been accomplished. By Jesus Christ. All on his own. Some encouragement for you this morning. Is I want you to pay attention to that word. Filled. That is both filled past tense and it is passive that means that it happened to you and that means that it happened to you in the past that means that God's work is complete now does that mean that you're perfect here this morning surely not I mean I am but you know it's a joke to make sure that you're awake None of us are perfect. We won't be perfect this side of glory. Surely not. But your salvation is secured. You've been filled with the totality of Christ. There's nothing more for you to do. There's no penance. There, there's no extra steps. There's no 10 more steps to have the fullness of God. If you're in Christ, you have his fullness. It's done. So whenever you start to hear that voice beating you down, that you're not enough, tell that voice, thank you, I know, but Jesus is. I know I'm not. That's why Jesus filled me. I know I was empty before. That's why Jesus filled me. I am filled with Jesus Christ. What are you doing in response to that reality in your life? You don't need to seek out philosophy or tarot cards or Cosmo magazines or Facebook articles or celebrity mantras or human traditions or anything else in search of fulfillment. If you are in Christ, you have everything. Hear me clearly this morning. If you are in Christ, you have everything. Even when the world around you doesn't make it seem as such. If you are in him, if you have been born again, seek him. Learn about him. We have to be on guard, actively learning the truth about Christ actively rejecting false teaching and actively learning about who Christ says that you are now in him these are musts for the Christian life but if you are not in in him this morning he has made a way for you he has stepped down into his creation he has Paid the penalty for your sins through the blood of his cross. And all that your response is, is to repent and turn away from your sins, put complete faith in Jesus Christ, and call upon the name of the Lord. You will be saved. Let's stand. It does pain me to say this, but the modern church has been taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to cultural trends, and according to the whims of unregenerate hearts. So let us see that here in this church, in our lives, that all we preach, all that we teach, and all that we learn about is Christ and Him crucified that we not be counted among the captive. Let us reject any teaching that is other-centered. Let us learn and know the truth about Christ. And let us learn and know the truth about both who we are in and apart from Christ.